we're back and we're recording and this is the two top podcast the two top podcast the two top podcast episode 70 and you know matt i want to talk about personal experience today it's hot it's way too hot it's It's so hot. hot outside it's hot in this room it's hot outside but you know what i do on the these hot days what's that i scream you scream we, we all, all scream, scream for <laughs> ice cream. Matt, ice cream is an amazing invention, but where did it come from? The the um um the ancient civilizations, right? It it dates back pretty far. Well, yesterday I was at the Franklin Fountain over in uh never in West Philly. West Philly. Yeah. West, West Philly. <laughs> never no, East Philly. Well. I was in East Philly. Okay. By Penn's Landing, went to Franklin Fountain. It's an old, old style like soda jerk ice cream shop. Nice. And nice. it was like it had such old branding. And I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, "Man, when do you think ice cream was invented?" And she's like, "Well, like judging by this and like the price and like the concept of like going in and freezing it, it's probably like 1800s, maybe." I was like, "Yeah, you know that makes sense. You need ice and cold to refrigerate, but." While doing research, I realized it's not quite that case. It's, the, it's older, right? It's Much older. way older. I'm talking B.C. The origins go all the way back to Alexander the Great. It's been documented that he enjoyed having snow flavored with honey and nectar, which isn't Ooh. necessarily the ice cream we know today, but it's the beginning of a cold confectionery, which, in a sense, is the basis of ice cream. The Romans also did this as well. Caesar oftentimes would send his warriors and athletes to run up the mountains to collect snow that could then be flavored with fruit and other juices. Now, I think that's pretty impressive. The The original cold confectionery was a snow cone. Not not quite ice cream. Yeah, there's no dairy in it. Okay, yeah, snow is just water. No Interesting. dairy. Yeah. But we start to go to a little bit more of stuff we know um, our good friend Marco, Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Uh, during his adventures to the Middle East, he discovers the Middle East recipe for what we now know as sherbet. 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 Are you a sherbet guy? Not really. I'd rather have ice cream than than any other thing. But um, yeah, I like sherbet. Sherbet. So yeah. So people they started with like water ice snow cones. Then we moved to sherbet. Is that why they call it Italian ice? Because Marco Polo kind of dabbled with it in Italy. Is that the idea, or brought it back to Italy? A little bit. Is that where it comes from? The Italian ice. What do you call? Do you call water ice? Or I'm sorry, I call it water ice. Do you call it water ice, Italian ice, or shaved ice, or Polish ice? I call it water ice. I call it water ice the, also. The Polish ice was my favorite. Uh, brand of yeah, of yeah. water ice. <laughs> yeah, I, I got in an argument about what what you call it. Apparently, a lot of people don't really call it water ice. No. Water ice. Water ice. So, you know, this is kind of basics, but let's get to the real good. Where's my vanilla? Where's my chocolate? Where's my Rocky Road, strawberry, Neapolitan, peanut butter parfait, Graham Slam, whatever you, ice cream is your banana go-to. Banana split. Bananas. That's the last flavor. I had it last night, Ben and Jerry's banana split. I love ice cream. Oh, yesterday I had strawberry. I love strawberry ice cream. I love strawberry ice cream as well. It's not on the top, but sometimes, like sherbet, it's, there's just like a time that's like 
strawberry, a fruit flavored ice cream is the way to go. Peach ice cream is very good also. Like the right amount of Cold Stone peach ice cream. Recently turned on to it. Very, very good. Because it's something that like it doesn't need any like fudge or confectionaries. It's like you can just have straight vanilla, like strawberry ice cream. Yeah, it's sophisticated through the fruit flavors. Oh, yeah. Yes. So we need to get to the good stuff. We need to get to the ice cream, the vanilla, the strawberry, the chocolate. So the first official account of ice cream in the New World comes in 1744 by the guest of the Maryland governor at the time, William Bladen. Um, It was the first advertisement for ice cream in the country. It showed up in the New York Gazette on May 12, 1777, when a confectioner, Philip Lenzel, uh, announced ice cream was available almost every day. Now, what's crazy is there's even records of New York, a New York merchant showing that President George Washington spent approximately $200 a day for ice cream during the summer of 1790. Now, that's a lot of ice cream. Mount Vernon had two pewter ice cream pots. And President Thomas Jefferson, he, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he, he, he was kind of an inventor in a sense. And he was very into making recipes. And actually, you can get his um, vanilla recipe. It was a modern ice cream decadency that is similar, similar to, I don't know if I've ha- you've had this slur, but it's a uh, modern day baked Alaska. Oh, baked Alaska. Okay. That's, um, it's, it's supposed to, the ice cream supposed to be, I just looked this up because I always forget the ice cream supposed to be in the, the colors of some sort of flag. I think it is. And then it's covered with like uh is it like a meringue? Yeah. It's not a cake. It's an ice. It's like an ice cream cake. I just, I just learned that. Yeah, but um, that's Thomas Jefferson. He um, that's the f- well that he didn't invent that flavor, but he had an eight a famous eighteen step recipe for an ice cream creation that was similar to that. Oh, but they didn't call it baked Alaska. They call it baked. Jefferson. No, but now it's c- resembles like a modern day <laughs> baked Alaska. Okay. Um, and then eighteen thirteen, Dolly Madison served strawberry ice ke- ice cream for President's Matt. Uh, President Madison's uh, inaugural banquet to the White House. So ice cream, it's more of an exotic. It's for the one percent. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. That's what's days. been through history till like eighteen hundreds, and it wasn't widely available until the late nineteenth hundred nineteen hundreds. And similar to what I was talking about, the Franklin Fountain, they were also kind of the starters of this. Uh, in eighteen seventy four, the American Soda Fountain Shop and profession of the soda jerk emerged the invention of ice cream soda. Ooh, yeah, floats, right? Yes. Nice root beer float on a Sunday. Cream soda float, orange orange soda float, Coke float, Sprite float. I don't know if Sprite float would be great. No. but Classic root beer is the best. But it's next, so it kind of starts off, but, like, it's now more accessible to the public. It's, It's a little better, but... You know, it you need a little bit more. Now, this all all was ha- possible because of the um, the Industrial Revolution. We create machines. We start to invent refrigeration. Yeah, that way you can ship it, right? They couldn't ship it. That was a big thing. Like when uh, Alexander the Great was getting his ice, 
they probably had to transport it pretty darn quickly. Otherwise, they would uh, it would melt, right? Yeah, you had to send guys running with snow in their hand to make sure that Caesar could get his ice. ice only, ice. only an emperor could afford it, you know. Yeah. So, in 1851, a Baltimore milk dealer named Jacob Fusel, um, he created technological innovations by using the ideas of steam power, mechanical refrigeration, homogenization, and all these things to now create frozen dairy, which nowadays has reached, we create like 1.6 billion gallons of ice cream. 1.6 billion? That's a lot of of ice cream. I probably eat two gallons a week or something like that. Oh, it's it's so good. I eat so much ice cream. I have something to admit to you, though, Thomas. I'm lactose intolerant. I just, I just, well, it wasn't diagnosed, but I just figured it was. I've been taking lactate, and it helps, so obviously I'm lactose intolerant. But I take it, and I can still have my ice cream. Sometimes I don't take it and still have ice cream. My stomach hurts really, really bad. But whatever, it's anything worth it. for ice cream. I love anything dairy, cheese, ice cream. We we talked about cheese. You love you love these podcast topics, dude. Anything that comes from a cow. We talked about the steak. Yeah, you talking about steak, cheese, dairy. ice cream. We'll have to have a milk discussion. Milk, the whole milk industry is a whole pasteurization. Louis Pasteur, the history of dairy. We'll we'll get to that. We'll do that. We'll do another one for that. Fresh from the cow. But you know what's great about ice cream? Like on these hot days, I'm feeling down. It's a morale booster. It makes you feel good. Yeah, it's sweet, cool treat. And that's, it was a morale symbol during World War II. Each Ooh. branch of the military tried to outdo each other in serving ice cream to its troops. In 1945, the first floating ice cream parlor was built for sailors in the Western Pacific. And when the war ended, dairy production rations were lifted, and America celebrated the victory with ice cream. America's co- Americans consumed over two 20 quarts of ice cream per person in 1946. Per person. 20 quarts of ice cream per person. Thus childhood obesity began. That's an absurd amount of ice cream. Per person? Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. It it was so new there. Probably like, what is this stuff? It's cheap. We're going to get all of it. And then they indulged, you know? You know, I will say, now that I think of it, over the course of a year, like, if you were to actually, like, do it, that's not that much ice cream. No, because you honestly, know, like a quart. If you go through a quart a week, if you eat like a little pint of uh, Ben and Jerry's in one sitting in a night, you know, while you're watching a movie or something. How many quarts are in a pint? How many pints are in a quart? Four or two? Um, two pints in a quart. So Four quarts in a it's gallon. forty quarts. So if you had forty Ben and Jerry's in the course of a year, how many pints is that? That's four. No, that's that would be forty. Eighty pints. No, no, no. If they did 20 quarts over a whole year, and we did, so like 40 pints. 40 pints. So like a whole year of 40. Make 20 quarts. So a whole year have 40 pints worth of Ben and Jerry's. Oh, that's not that bad, though. <laughs> oh, that's not that bad. Not really. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. But doable. But it's doable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so from... Ever since that point into the 70s, ice cream production has been relatively consistent. More prepackaged ice cream, like your ice cream sandwiches, sold at ice cream stores, um, ice cream stores, supermarkets. Um, the dairy aisle. And like as time, traditional ice cream parlors and soda fountains slowly disappeared. But now, you know, ice cream's kind of taking a new front, a new, a new stage. You have all this soft serve John going on. And then there's also a bunch of... Um, there's still ice cream shops. 
But now people are starting to bring science with nitrogen ice cream. and Yeah, you oh. see in the mall, you see the kiosk with those little balls that are nitrogen frozen. And they just like they have the, the vapor coming off of them and people eat them and the vapor comes out. It's like a novelty. Yeah. Never actually tried it. We should go try it, Thomas. There's a lot of science to it. I know a nitrogen ice cream place. In Philly? Yeah. Why don't we go there and film a little special? Absolutely. And put it on the two-top budget. Two-top budget. You heard it here first. Just charge it to our account. I think our account's in the negative. It definitely is. Because <laughs> we definitely haven't gotten any positives. <laughs> but that's why I have for ice cream. Wow. I almost I had some yesterday. Tw- I, had, I had it twice yesterday. And um, I probably will have it again today in celebration of this story. But that's what I have, Matt. Worthy, worthy, worthy try of ice cream yes. tasting. But Matt, I think we should move on. What do you have for us lovely podcast listeners today? Well, I haven't done a, uh, a real topic on uh, technology no, you haven't, and you're the tech guy and normally. I'm, I love tech. Some of my favorite episodes were like data sizes. We're talking big data was a good episode, you know, storage. I love all those topics. But today I want to I want to do a very broad thing, and I, I actually I have to write a paper on this, which is very cool because it's very relevant and very flexible because it, it covers a whole bunch of technologies that are that are modern, like the most modern technologies, because they all fall under something called disruptive technology. What, what does that mean to you? Is disruptive technology... I don't know. I've heard the term before, but I'm sure if you were to remind me, I'd understand. It's a very new, it's a very new term. And we're not, we're not talking disruptive in, in the sense like, oh, my child is disruptive in the classroom. We're talking disruptive, meaning it stirs up the industry. So disruptive technology is one that displaces an established technology and shakes up the industry or a groundbreaking product that creates a completely new industry. Um, the, the term is coined by Harvard, Harvard Business School professor Clayton M. Christensen. Um, so it's, it's new and it has certain advantages, enhancements, but also there are some drawbacks with some technologies that we don't want, you know, that kind of takes away quality of living, whereas many disruptive technologies are supposed to enhance life. So, I mean, immediately, what do you see me doing right now with this? Well, you're holding an iPad. I'm holding this tablet, and I'm reading my notes off it. What does this replace? It, I guess it replaces a laptop. Or and what does the a, laptop or replace? Or a notebook. A notebook. Paper. Yeah. And what does a notebook replace? Ideas. So you can take it back step by step down a chain of different technologies. So I wanted to give you a list of technologies that are disruptive for 2018, something that's going to be coming to change your life as you know it. So the first one ranked um, on this good website called disruptionhub.com. Perfect, perfect for our topic. Mobile first to AI first. Now, what does that mean? AI, companies are using AI. They're putting it at the front of all their algorithms. They want to incorporate AI to do the work for them for minuscule tasks to more administrative things for organization. That's something disruptive. What does that disrupt? Well, AI can disrupt a whole crap ton of things. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, look at if you have intelligence that can do simple tasks, think of all the low task jobs that can be replaced. Now, to you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because we're going to be losing jobs because of that, right? 
Um, it depends on who you are. If you're the corporation, it's a good thing because you save money off labor. If you're the worker, it's bad because you don't have a job. So it yeah. depends on where you're looking. It's going to make things more efficient, cost-saving, but is it going to really save costs when you're not paying people to feed the industry with their salaries? The A really good example my professor gave me in my one class was the music industry. This is a perfect example. Obviously, we have streaming. I talked about streaming, disruptive yeah. technology. Um, the people who would package CDs, tapes, we talked about tapes, vinyl, the different pla- platforms and mediums for music, those, those people don't exist anymore. It's all digital. Right. So those jobs are those aren't even jobs anymore. We're our our world is losing jobs because of disruptive technologies. Specifically, artificial intelligence is going to do everything for us eventually. Right. By yeah. twenty fifty, we're talking singularity. This is bringing all our topics together. And you know, it's funny when you were talking about disruptive technology. I thought it was one technology disrupting another. Another, but what you're saying is it's more than just technology affecting technology. It's technology affecting whole industries that life as we know it yes that's the idea yeah it changes everything every aspect it's disrupting a whole chain if you look at it in the philosophical sense one little stone dropped in the universe ripples out that's what it is it's the butterfly effect of technology some people are some people are ideas or technologies are bigger stones than others being dropped in a pond I'd say like Elon Musk is like a boulder being dropped in a pond and his ideas ripple out. We're talking the hyperloop, you know, fast transportation. What I mean, what is a what is a train replace? It replaces like horse carriages. What do horse carriages replace? Just regular single horses and the horses replace people walking, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. And then we can even bring it back to cavemen. They didn't even you know, humankind did we even walk on our two feet for a while? That was a tech. It's not necessarily technology, but the processes also. Simple things like the invention of brick removed the need for huts. Exactly. Yeah. No more straw huts. No more reed stick huts. Yeah. It's it's building components and materials. So another thing that I didn't think about it's for 2018. This is specific because there's been a huge bump in the industry for meatless meats. This could be its own topic. Yeah, the whole Beyond Meat, I, Beyond Meat Burger, I, uh, the Impossible Burger. Yeah, I was somewhere and it was on the menu. Yeah, I was uh, Bear Burger, Central City. I've eaten there twice in the past two weeks because it's really good. They have a the reason I was going there. They have vegan milkshakes that don't have any dairy and they taste just like a regular milkshake. It's really good. Wow, you like ice cream. I love ice cream, man. I'll do whatever. <laughs> if I forget my my dairy pills, I I go find a vegan option. And it's good. But speaking about the meatless industry, I've been eating, like, without without trying, I've been just coming across more, like, soy products, and I've been eating them. Like, I buy these um, soy nuggets, chicken nuggets, because because I, I was making this recipe that called for those. And I was like, you know what, these are pretty good, and I incorporate that in a lot of my cooking now, which is really interesting because, like, I'm a, I'm a full-on meat guy. Like, I like... That's weird to say. <laughs> I like you, meat. You're a good yeah. fan of some steaks, some chicken in life. Dude, I made the best steak the other day. So I'm, you still got meat in your system? <laughs> absolutely. I, got, I Meat once a day. Need the protein, you know, need the, the acids, the iron. But anyway, the, the meatless meat, it tastes just like chicken. The oh, consistency, the looks, yeah. I've had I've had the I've had the impossible burger and I've had this this really good the brand's guardian, the 
Mandarin chicken nuggets, but they're not chicken. It doesn't say what they are. It's a mix of soy and some other things. It, in this article, um, tofu and corn, spelled Q-U-O-R-N. I, I don't know if that's a oh, weird yeah, way. Corn. Or yeah. Corn. <laughs> it's not exactly corn. It's more of a grain similar to quinoa, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Quinoa is a big um, flax seeds, a lot of beans, obviously black bean burgers. They're good, you know. But oh, a big fan of black bean burger. With it's it's completely sauce. different than a burger, but yeah. it's, it's its own thing. And I, I used to shut it down. Saying like, oh, this is this is just trying to be something it's not. But I think it's fallen into its own thing. I don't like when they call it, well, they call it meatless meat. That's cool. But I don't like when they say like, meat that ta- er, meat a meat taste without the meat or whatever. I don't like that. I don't want it to pretend to be something that it's not. This could be its whole own topic, you know. I have to go check out this place because I've I've wanted to try it because I've heard so many things about them. I said they that they um. That they almost bleed when you cut into them, that like it looks like meat, and it acts like meat. But <laughs> they put in that's definitely natural a, blood looking. Yeah, it's definitely a disruptive technology f- to the whole meat industry, if you can have meat without meat. But, I mean, I do love chicken. But Americans go through so if you do if you do the math and like think of how many creatures you go through in a week, which is pretty morbid. But if you think yeah. about it, like, oh, Slaughterhouse 5 up in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. We, I mean, there's so much meat wasted. The meat industry is very, very messed up with companies like Monsanto. And I'm, I eat meat, so I'm guilty. I love my fast food, you know, and that's the cheapest beef coming in. So, yeah. and, and chicken. But, you know, this, it's a disruptive technology, the meatless meat industry. It's a, it changed the industry, it changed, changed the technology, it changed the process, and it changed the mentality of uh, society, not just in the United States, but around the world. I have to add Monsanto's to a list of podcast topics because I, I know I wanted to talk about that at some point. Yeah, I, we've mentioned it in more than two episodes, I know. Um, okay, moving on. Voice-based virtual assistants become ubiquitous. You know, we're, we're just used to, say, Alexa in the kitchen doing something for us. It used to be very awkward, but it's already within three years. It's become more natural, you know? You know, though, it's like I try to use these services, and, like, I use Siri sometimes to, like, have appointments and stuff. But... For some reason, I always think it can do more than it actually can. It's still, it's still in its adolescence. At least serious. I know Google Absolutely, and Alexa's yeah. up there, but like I said, set an appointment for this day at this time, and they're like, perfect. And I was like, can you t- give me a r- a reminder a day in advance for this appointment? And then she just like, yeah, there's it's very specific. Now, I wanted to touch base on. Um, Sometimes these features only work for the very, like, wealthy and elite if you have, like, a credit card hooked up, you know, where you don't have to worry about anything. You can order food through these things. That's like using this artificial intelligence um, automation to its fullest potential, but not everyone can do that. I can't just, like, look at my iPhone and be like, order this, because I don't have, I don't want my money going out like that quickly, you know? No, I... It's a careless step. I'm not a fan of the one-click, the one-click purchase. I'd like to see what's going on. And, you know, make sure that it's a worthwhile investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I use Siri all the time, and I, re- I really like how it can write for me. The text, the, the speech to text is ideal. I've especially been using that for my Spanish homework this year. I just read my whole homework sheet to my 
iPad to my computer to, to my iPhone, whatever device, because this, the speech recognition software is so good. What does that replace? It disrupts my hand and a pen. Every it displaces a lot of um I knew for a while there like text to speech was a premium that you had to buy. There's mm-hmm. companies I think they called Dragonfly. Yeah, there was uh yeah, exactly. And I looked into that when they came out because I was like this is great. I don't have to touch a keyboard one- again. But I mean you do, obviously. Yeah. But this technology is getting better and better every year. This is these these things I'm talking about are specific to 2018 that are that are really up and coming. My next one, Industry 4.0. This is its own podcast. Do you know what this is? They call it the um, the fourth industrial revolution. Is it a digital We're on the verge one? Of it. It's a digital one. It's automation processes powered by artificial intelligence, advanced robots. There was this whole article that I read on um, robot twins and learning together in pair. It's not just one robot learning based on actions. It's using two of them seeing different scenarios from two different sides and putting their minds together. I, I didn't quite understand it. It's something very new. Twin robots. Twin robots. All and right. then we have technologies like CRISPR, gene splicing, very new. Not very new, but it's, it's brand, that's a podcast topic on its own. But, you know, that's changing the way humans have mated, you know? Making humans. It's weird. Gene cloning. I mean, nothing new, really, but... It's something that we don't think about. It's like this. I was thinking about like talking about. It's funny. We were talking about uh, a professor was worried if her son was playing two violent games, which, by the way, was Roblox. (laughs) Roblox, like a zombie mode in Roblox. And she's like, is this too violent for my kid? I was like, I don't know. But it made me think it's like. As we were talking, there's a different age range of like a professor to students and like asking what we played when we were kids. And then you realize within the course of one lifetime, like our grandparents have witnessed almost like bare, bare bones computers. No, no computers to bare bones computers to smartphones we have today. It's we did the whole industrial thing hundreds of like 200 years ago and now this new revolution of technology it's as you said it's a fourth fourth industrial revolution yeah happening all over again yeah it it truly is is there going to be is there going to be a pause i think after our singularity 2050 predicted as you told us in the one podcast is that going to be the pause for this fourth industrial revolution i think the pause is actually going to be a societal one it's the pause in the last one was kind of like you they peaked on what they could make at the time and they utilized it right yes is that the idea and then but i think our next one it's going to reach the point that it's now more of a social we might start touching social standards of genetics and of robotic jobs and implementing all those in our society i feel like the reason that we'd stop moving forward would be almost a societal fear of losing what we had before in the idea of the purest form of life we have, I'd say right now, in 30 years, if this is all arbitrary and everything advances so far, I feel like people are afraid of that and they'd want it to stop. Yeah, it's a social thing. But technology will always 
continued to advance. You can't exponentially too. Yes. But you, it's funny. It's like I know I'm saying this as someone living in 2018. I'm sure someone living in 1972 would be thinking the same thing. But where on earth do we go from here? Like what? Well, I, I'm thinking that in my head right now. You know our sci-fi films that we watch, where there's cities built up and it's just spaceships floating through the different blocks on either side, down below, quadrants of crazy multiverse planets. That's actually going to happen. And there's, I mean, these films all depict different species, alien races coming. I feel like that could be a thing in our future. It's not far off at all. The technology of like having these giant cities, very urban worlds, is is too real. You're already seeing it. I mean, we all need to stop and think for a second how far we've come. Think about it. You don't even need to leave your house. What? What's the term? It's it's like a phobia of going out. You don't have to go out anymore. No, you can, you can stay, stay home, You can order everything to your house. Uber Eats. Yeah, exactly. Work from your computer. You can literally. We were talking about um, the medical industry. Doctors can do surgeries from different continents using robotics. And a robot arm translates the movement they do in the United States to, say, a country across on the other side of the world. They could do anything. So I'm going to end on the last one. We're talking about renewable energies. This is a positive one because renewable energies has always been debated. It's too expensive to be sustainable. Now the technology is so good with solar, wind power, that it's becoming drastically cheaper to, to harness these resources. So we're not using te- energy the same way that we've always used it. And I'm, I'm a big advocate. I really like renewable energy. There's no reason we shouldn't have windmills and solar panels. No, I feel like if ever I come to the place to where I design a building or build a house for myself, incorporating solar panels will be one of the first things I look for. Absolutely. Because I was talking to people in the industry, and I said, uh, like a year ago when I was meeting with some architects, I was like, I want to design sustainable structures. And he's like, you shouldn't focus on building sustainably. It should just be something that happens. You should be building sustainability inherently. And if you're not doing that, you're living in the past. It that's sh- just what it is. Okay, yeah. that's the industry standard now. That's really good to hear. Because if you design not caring about the site and the environment, then you're just you're not caring about the future and like sustainability of what is to come. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Maybe to end on a negative note. The one solar panel on top of the Conshohocken IKEA caught on fire two weeks ago. How on? Is it like the <laughs> focusing of light rays burns up? Honestly, something? I have no idea, but uh, it was a pretty big fire. They shut it down for like a couple days. IKEA, <laughs> no. <laughs> I love but IKEA. There you, yeah, I know. I love IKEA also. Great place. That could be a podcast topic. Man, Ooh. I'm feeling inspired now. And do you know about like IKEA modding? Like people mod their IKEA furniture? It's no. called like IKEA hacking. Oh, we have a podcast for you. But I that will be pictures. on another episode. But for now, this was Two Top. Uh, two Topics. Two Topics. You got right some ice you. cream. You got some disruptive technology up in this, John. And, you know, I would say ice cream was the disruptive technology to the snow cone. But, hey, that's just me. Oh, absolutely. Perfect example. But that's what we have this week. And we'll see you guys next time for another Two, two topics. topics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This was Two Top, the independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg and produced by Thomas Lance. 
Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics.